0: Alright, we're glad that you're here. If you have your copy of God's Word, uh, Nehemiah chapter 2 this morning, Nehemiah chapter 2. As we are continuing in the series, Nehemiah, building for next, in case we are not uh, connected on social media. Yes, I was at the game last night. Yes, I got home at 2 o'clock. Yes, I was in bed at 2.45. No, I didn't fall asleep till about 3.15. So at 7.10 when my alarm went off, I was like, this cannot be real. This cannot be true. Two things were true after going to the game. One, um, after the, uh, w- one of the most exciting um, sports of, uh, experiences of, of my entire life, um, I really, you know, it kind of made me want to run through a brick, a brick wall, to be quite honest. Um, quite honestly, at this point, I'm not sure whether I want to run through a brick wall or I want to walk right up to the brick wall and lay down and take a nap. So I don't know exactly where we are, but uh, we're gonna get wherever it is. We're gonna get there uh, together. Uh, I love this series because I love this book of the Bible, especially for where you are as a church. Uh, this is absolutely 100 percent applicable for the, for Fort Caroline. Uh, you are standing on the precipice of something. Uh, so exciting and great, and, and, and when the the prophet Habakkuk was um, was crying out to God, saying, "God, why you know why are you allowing all of these things to happen?" Um, the people of God were turning back to God, and and uh, and and um, King Josiah had come in and was uh, was getting got rid of all the pagan gods and uh, had turned the Israelites back to worshiping God again. And all of a sudden, in battle, King Josiah was killed, and so Habakkuk standing on the side of a cliff and he's crying out, "God, why are you allowing?" allowing? Allowing these things to happen. And God responded to, to Habakkuk and he said this. He said, I'm doing a work in your days that even if I told you, you wouldn't get it. I feel like on this side of heaven where we don't have um, omniscience, we don't know everything that's going to happen, um, what's going to happen uh, down the road. There's part of us that, that we, we look at kind of the uncertainty of the moment and you know, you, you know we're, we're coming into 2023, uh, you don't have a lead pastor yet. We're praying for the pastor search committee as they're trying to find uh, God's next man. And so you're probably sitting there just thinking, man, what, what is next? What does that look like for us? And even though you don't know, God does know. God's working it out. He is doing, I'm telling you, in, in, in things like Arlington Community Services, fantastic. But God is doing a work in this church that even if God were to stand here next to me and he were to tell you all the things that he was doing, you wouldn't get it. Because he is working things in such a way that, that, that he is prepping you for the next uh, chapter of this church's future, which is going to become its present. So let me ask you a question. Do you remember uh, what, what it felt like um, uh, the first time you, you fell in love? You remember, and for me, I, I, can tell, I can tell you what it was like. Uh, I was a kid. I was five, year, five years old. Her name was Maria. All right, we, we, fell, we fell in glorious love on the, merry, on the merry-go-round at Lakeside Elementary School. Um, I was convinced I was going to marry her. I didn't know what that meant. But all I knew was this, that that, that day when she kissed me on the cheek behind the, uh, the swing set. I That's right, uh, playa. <laughs> At that moment, I, I knew. I just I, I knew. The, the sun was brighter. The sky was bluer. The trees were greener. The birds were chirping more loudly and more beautifully. Oh, man. I was so excited. When I, when I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, things changed. When I when I when I was 10 years old and I didn't know what was different, but I knew that everything about my life was different. Do you remember what that felt like? Over time, just as it happened with Maria when when when, when I saw when I caught her kissing Josh on the cheek about three days after she kissed me, I realized I had been played. <laughs> Like most relationships, that's why that's why I married Allie. She didn't kiss other men on the cheek. Um, like most relationships, there comes a time when the newness kind of wanes, doesn't it? When when you just sort of get used to it, when you know, life, life hits, whether it's a, it's a relationship that you've been in, or maybe for you, Christian, it was, it was that time that you trusted Jesus as Savior, and kind of the, the honeymoon period had worn off, and, and life kind of hit you in the mouth, right? People disappointed you. God was always faithful, but the idealism of your spiritual youthfulness faded into something different. And it's probably different on some level for all of us, but for some, for some of us, that, that dissolving of our spiritual naivete led to a distrust of the church. Maybe someone within the church hurt you, and you walked out and you said, I'm not coming back. And that may be your story. One thing that we find in the story of Nehemiah is that for many of us, it parallels our own story. Nehemiah was burdened. He saw the brokenness of the walls of Jerusalem. He saw that his people were living in a constant state of fear of being overrun. And he had a passion to to want to do something. And yet God, in his sovereignty, made Nehemiah wait. Now wait for what? Well, I have no idea. We see it later in the story, but sometimes that's the way it is. We, church, we don't always get a glimpse into God's timing, do we? Like, we don't always get to see ahead of time what God is doing. Now, many times we look back and we see in hindsight, but we've already established last week that God works outside the bonds of linear time. He's in tomorrow, he's in yesterday, and he's here today too. And he's working in ways that we can't even see. He's working in the good, he's working in the bad, he's working in the prosperity, he's working in the poverty. He's working in the trust, and he's working in the distrust. He's working in, in uh, the, 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 the church, he's working outside of the church. what's frustrating for us is that we do live in linear time so we don't get to see how the Lord is moving in advance and that requires waiting and waiting requires patience now church I love y'all and y'all have been so good to love me and my family you know me by this point I don't do patience well so what do we do in the waiting? What do we do if, if you've been someone who, who have, you know, you're, you've just come back into the church and maybe you walk back into the church and not long after you walk back in, everything here kind of, that, all of the, the stability that, that having a long-term senior pastor provided just seemed to get thrown up in the air. And now we wait. Today, today's big idea is this? And by the way, I, I made the mistake with eight minutes left in the game of screaming to everybody in our section to get on their feet. I was very, it was very glorious Stefan of me. And, um, and so I have, I have tea up here. I don't usually bring anything with me, but I, I will lose my voice at some point. Um, so uh, pray, pray for you, boy, if you don't mind. Um, our big idea today is this, is that in the uncomfortableness of waiting... We must train ourselves to see the moment when the Lord moves us from preparation to action. And we're we're in a time of waiting right now, and, and we don't know what to do with our hands. We're just sort of like walking around like we, we don't we don't really know what to do. And and so there is a rest a certain restlessness in the uncertainty. And maybe for, for some of us, that newness of, of, the, of, of being a part of the church has started to fade. And you're starting to look around going, where do I fit? What, what, where, where do I go? What, what, what do I do? Maybe we find that together today. We're going to read Nehemiah chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. And we're going to see what Nehemiah did in the waiting. Because that waiting next Sunday is going to turn into action. So let's talk about the waiting. Let's read verses 1 through 8. He said in the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now understand that Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king. He would sample all of the wine to make sure that it wasn't poisoned. So if Nehemiah drinks of the wine and doesn't keel over, then it's safe for the king to drink. Again, I don't need a full-time job that badly. All right. He says, now I had, I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad seeing that you are not sick? There is no, this is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what... What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. If you're comfortable writing in your Bible, underline that, that phrase, that sentence. So I, I prayed to the God of heaven. He said, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen was sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Three things that we see from this, from this passage When while we are waiting, while we're waiting for the Lord to move, what? How do we take that restlessness? How do we take that nervous energy that we feel, and we redirect it into something productive? One, we pray. I know we spent an awful lot of time last Sunday looking at prayer. There's there's a reason for that. That's the point. For four months, right? We were in the month of Kislev last week, which is kind of end of November, 1st of December. We have, we have tr- been transported four months to the month of Nisan, roughly between uh, the end of March and the 1st of April. So for four months in the uncertainty, for four months with a burden on his heart, God made him wait. And as he waited, as Nehemiah waited, he prayed and he fasted. And he waited for the Lord to be ready to move forward. Church, that is very important. You can, you can do whatever you want. You can build buildings. You can plant churches. You can raise all kinds of money. You can have men's prayer breakfast. You can have pioneers. Do whatever you want to do. And if the Lord is not in it, it's pointless. If it's not in the Lord's timing, God's not going to bless it. And so from creation, the creation of the world from eternity past, God knew that this interim time for this church would be here at this moment. It didn't take him by surprise. If there is anything in this world that should give us comfort, it is that. That even though this time of uncertainty was surprising to us, it wasn't surprising to God. God and our hope does not rest in us. Our hope rests in Him. And sometimes, church, what we learn here is that it takes time for the passion that God has given us to lead into a full tilt burn to see His will done. Look at verses 2 and 3. Well, I take a sip of tea. Boy, that's hot. Okay. Look at verse two. He says, The king king said to me, uh, Why why is your face sad? Now, part of that's important because because he had never been sad in the the presence of the king. There's a reason for that. Kings are are generally narcissistic people, all right? They are alpha personalities, all right? That's how they get to that that role, all right? And and they generally surround themselves with people that will tell them how wonderful they are. The king had the the ability with a snap of his fingers to have your head cut completely off. You didn't walk into the king's chambers and do something that would make him want to have any inkling of a desire to kill you. And so everybody came in. Everybody was happy. We are all happy. We are laughing. And here's Nehemiah. Now, whether it was by design, whether Nehemiah... You know, you know, there, there are times when I, am, when I am mad or when I'm frustrated and I want somebody to know I'm mad or I'm frustrated so I'm pouty a little bit. There's know, reason in that. It's okay. Whether it was because Nehemiah was so overcome with sadness over the condition of Jerusalem or whether he was trying to passive-aggressively tell the king, I need you to ask me what's going on because you and I need to have a conversation. The king noticed that Nehemiah was sad. He says, I've never seen you sad before. What is wrong with you? In Ephesians chapter 6, and verse 18, Paul says, as as we're praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Nehemiah spent his time, church, so burdened, and I don't know about you, there have been times that, that in my own prayer closet that I have become so burdened for some circumstance that I couldn't help but become emotionally invested in what was going on. It may not even be me that is burdened. It may not even be me that is going through a tough time. But if God places a person or a condition or a circumstance on my heart, it, it affects my emotion. And so here's Nehemiah, and he is so overcome, and the king says, what, what's wrong with you? Church, can you, can you imagine what would happen if our prayer time wasn't just about a transition between one part of the service to another, or something we did before we ate a meal, or something that we did because it was an obligation, or because you didn't study for an exam, and you need, you need some kind of heavenly recall, Or you're in the doctor's office and and you don't talk to God with regularity, but you're praying for the test results that you're about to receive. What if prayer became something that we do all the time in every circumstance? That we allow ourselves in church. This is hard for us. We've been burned. You may have been burned by the church. I don't know. But what happens if we allowed our hearts to be burdened for the conditions around us? When do we pray? Dr. Tony Evans says this about about prayer. He says, the bottom line is this, pray. If you're you're tired, sick, or if you're emotionally overwhelmed, pray. If you're on cloud nine and life seems perfect, pray. If you lack direction, pray. If you doubt that prayer makes any difference, pray. Pray. If the circumstances of your life are out of your control, pray. If the circumstances of your life seem well within your control, pray even harder. Whatever you do, pray. You're seeing this played out in Nehemiah's life. If you go back to chapter 1 and you look at the prayer that Nehemiah prayed in verses 5 through 11, praying that God would move, praying that God would move him, praying that God would move the king. Nehemiah took this gospel-saturated prayer in chapter 1 and he is is continuing it into chapter 2. And now things are starting to happen. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 in verse 17, Paul says, says, pray without ceasing. Now, what does that, what does that really mean? <clears throat> My voice gets squeaky, I gotta take a sip. You ever read this, this verse? Pray without ceasing? If it's, I mean, is that like we're just gonna pray all the time? Like, like. Like you're going to, you know, like, like you pull up into the Starbucks line like we did on our way to church this morning. Like you pull up into the Starbucks line, you're about, to, you're about to order, so you stop praying to order, and God wraps you on the wrist and says, no, 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 I told you to pray without ceasing. Is that what it means? Not really. The, the Greek gives us some insight into what Paul's talking about. That, that term, Unceasingly is actually, is actually the, the Greek word. Pray unceasingly. It, it's, it's, a, it's a military term. And it speaks to a continual bombardment of a fortified position. Have you ever looked at something that you were so burdened to pray over that seemed insurmountable? A, a mountain that seemed too big to climb. A situation that you didn't know how it was going to get rectified. When we pray unceasingly, we continually come back to it. We bombard heaven with prayers over what seems like an insurmountable condition. Paul says pray unceasingly. Church, whenever you think about the pastor search committee, you need to pray for them. Constantly bombard heaven on their behalf. When you think of Arlington Community Services, bombard prayer on their behalf. When you think about the lost that are around you, maybe they're in your family. Maybe they work in the cubicle next to you at work. Maybe it's just the jerk sitting next to you playing his radio too loud in traffic. I I don't know. Bombard prayer. Bombard heaven in prayer on their behalf. God hears it, church. When we pray, it doesn't go to some just cavernous place. The God of creation who spoke the world into existence hears us when we pray. And if we love this church and we love this community, we should be bombarding heaven on their behalf. For Nehemiah, this wasn't just lip service. It was his life. It was his hope. And it's ours too. Church, we should be a people of unwavering, unceasing prayer. So not only do we pray, we prepare. I'm going to be honest with you. I really loathe that patience is a fruit of the Spirit. (laughs) I ain't good at it. And if 85% of statistics are all made up, 92% of you agree with me. So what do we do? I mean, I'm all for praying, but I'm kind of a guy of action. And, and, and I understand that prayer is action all on its own. But like, there comes a point that I want to get my hands dirty. Like, I want to I, I I do something. I don't want to be like, like sitting in the rocking chair at Cracker Barrel, where I sit there and I rock and I rock and I rock and I expend all this energy. I don't go anywhere. What do we do with this nervous energy? How, how do we put the waiting to good use? Nehemiah used his time to make the necessary preparations. Look at verse six. He, the king had answer. The king had questions. Look at what he says. He says. He says. um, And the king said to me, with the queen sitting beside him. All right. So fine. So you want to go do this? You, you, you want to go prep, you want to you go fix your homeland, I totally get it. How long are you going to be gone? I think so often we get so excited, there are times we get so excited about something, about some way that God's moving, that we just want to get going. And when people start asking really good questions, we ain't got answers. King had questions. Church, there is a fine line that we as believers have to draw between waiting on the Lord in faith and pulling the trigger when the time comes. I think the prayer aspect helps us with that. It helps show us the heart of God, like, like that we want to, like that God will show us when the right time is. But we also cannot, when it becomes time to act, simply use a reasoning. Well, we'll just let the Lord take care of all the details. Well, he is going to take care of all the details. But how many times when I don't want to do something, I just say, well, I'm going to let the Lord handle it. I'll just sit here and let him work. Now, God gave us intellect. He gave us the ability to reason. And he also gave us the ability to make good decisions. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then what? All these things will be added. Church, we, we must make the plan within the bonds of God's foresight that he's given us. And then we work the plan. Look at verse 7. What I love about Nehemiah. So, so this is not my gifting, right? Like my fourth grade principal, Mrs. Mary Bethay, once told me, or once told my parents in an IEP meeting, she said Patrick is going to go as far as he wants to go in life. He's just going to need a really good secretary. This is not my gifting. All right, I love casting vision. I love, seeing, I love seeing down the road and trying to figure out how we're going to get there. I, like men's prayer break, because I don't know how many garbage cans we're going to need. I don't know the three, okay? So we need three. I don't know that. There are other people that are gifted in administration that know how to do that. Nehemiah was specific. Look at verse seven. He said, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, <clears throat> by the way, not only am I going to be gone this amount of time, I'm also going to need some things. I need letters. I need letters of passage. So if someone tries to hurt me, I can tell them, you don't want to hurt me because when you hurt me, you anger King Artaxerxes and you don't want that drama in your life. By the way, I also need a letter because I'm going to need wood to rebuild the walls and the gates and the homes This is your quintessential ask not. You you have not because you ask not. So what does Nehemiah do? He shoots for the moon and figures even if he misses, he'll land amongst the stars. Some girl wrote that in my yearbook my senior year. I never forgot it. (laughs) So what does Nehemiah do? He gives the king his plan. He spent the waiting making a plan. And it showed the king that this wasn't just lip service. That Nehemiah wasn't just being flippant or being impulsive. The king saw that Nehemiah was troubled. But he also saw that Nehemiah was troubled to the point that he made a plan. You know what I love about this church? There's a plan for this church. There's going to there's come a day when you're going to renovate buildings. And you're going to build buildings. I keep hearing it's two years down the road. I don't know how many more two years it's going to be. When I was a teenager in 1997, my mentor stood up on on stage at church and told us he was leaving to go to another church in his hometown in Mississippi, and I was devastated. I didn't know pastors could leave churches. And I thought, what are we going to do? And in the 18-month interim between... Hiring pastors. First Baptist Church of Middleburg came together and planted a church in Fleming Island, which is now one of the biggest churches in Clay County. They didn't let the fact that they were in an interim stop them from making preparations to do God's work. Nehemiah was specific. Church... Are you listening to your staff, to your pastors? There's a plan for this church. God wants to do something miraculous here. You can't just sit on your hands and say, we're going to wait for a pastor. Let's get to work today. We pray, we prepare, then we posture. What does that mean? Posture is position. When Ali and I were walking through downtown Jacksonville last night, walking to the rideshare lot, which was in Egypt, <laughs> so that we could catch a ride home at one o'clock in the morning. Now I am six foot one, three hundred and ten pounds. I tried to be six foot six, four hundred pounds. I postured, I bowed up, and I put—I want to put anything that may harm us. I want to put me between anything that may harm us and Allison. It's about position. Look at, look at the, end of, verse, or the uh, end of verse 8. It says, And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Church, we need in the interim to be positioning ourselves that when the first day your next pastor stands on this stage, that you are ready to move. There were three leaders that were that were uh, instrumental in the rebuilding of Jerusalem after the seven decade Babylonian captivity. Zerubbabel came in and rebuilt the temple. Nehemiah rebuilt the walls, and Ezra, the priest, restored worship to the Lord. As a matter of fact, Ezra refers to the good hand of God be, being upon him. And so Nehemiah comes back in and says, And the king granted me what I asked, because the good hand of God was upon me. Can, church, can that be said of Fort Caroline Baptist? Nehemiah has been asking the Lord, we saw in chapter 1, verse 11, had, had been asking the Lord, said, "Grant, grant me mercy. In the sight of this man. That the king may see how troubled I am. And then all of a sudden the king saw it. And what does is, what is Nehemiah do? And I told you to, to underline this phrase. If I could find it. He said in, in verse the end of verse 4. He said, so I prayed to the God of heaven. In that moment, that one little bitty prayer. The moment he had been waiting for showed up. And I I, I don't know about you, but there's times that I pray and I pray and I pray. And when that that moment finally arrives to have that conversation or to do that task, all of a sudden I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. And so Nehemiah prays to the God of heaven. Nehemiah had been asking God, God, grant me mercy in the sight of the king that he might see the affliction of my people. This is how we're going to end today in Revelation chapter 2. In verses 4 through 5, Jesus is writing to the church at Ephesus. And he says this to the church. He says, "You've you've done some great things in the midst of persecution. He says, but I have this against you. He said that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. It's easy, church, for us to lose our first love. The trappings of this life, the temptations, the stressors, the frustrations can, can take our eyes off Jesus. It's so easy for us to get involved uh, with ministry here that we, forget, that we continue daily to fall in love like I did with Maria on the merry-go-round. It's easy for us to get so consumed with what all was going on around us that we we forget to fall in love with Jesus daily. Church, some of us need to return. Jesus says, if you don't come back to me, I'm gonna take your lampstand. That lampstand is, is representative of God's presence. Every church has a lampstand. The moment that we... That Jesus warns us and we choose to continue going our own way. Jesus will take our lampstand and at that point we fail to be a church. We need to be postured and ready to do the work. Fall in love with Jesus again. For some of you, you need to fall in love with Jesus for the first time. You've never trusted Jesus as Savior you just don't know what you're missing. Blue skies, green trees, birds chirping. Come home to Jesus today. Some of you have been hurt, maybe by the church, maybe by something else. And you just said, you know what? If this, there's no way that God would, a good God would allow bad things to happen in this world. Now, let me tell you, we live in a sin-sick world. And God allows these things to happen that it might drive us back into His loving, strong embrace. Come back to Jesus today. But church, let's pray, but let's prepare. Bug Matt to death about doing things for the kingdom of God. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, Matt's going to be back in the back. If you've never trusted Jesus as Savior, we'd love to talk with you in our Next Steps area. If you want to know more about Arlington Community Services, head back there at the end of the service. Talk to Miss Mary. Let's let's do great things for the gospel. But in the waiting, let's put our waiting to good use. That we might be used by God to do miraculous things in this community. For his glory and for our good. Father, we love you and we honor you. And God, today, as we close things down, God, may we leave passioned, emboldened, burdened, To see your will done here. God, I pray for this church family. God, that you would give them patience as you wait for your timing to move. And God, make us okay with it. But God, when the time comes to move, may we be postured to follow you in faith until the day we see you face to face we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. May God bless you as you go today.